Happy Wednesday! You're listening to Mama Murdered a Podcast. I'm your host, A.B. And this week on Mama Murdered a Podcast, we're covering a case that is so brutal and so tragic and so unnecessarily heartless that it almost makes me wonder how a rage-filled, murderous 14-year-old has even been alive long enough to get this sick and twisted and demented. This week, we're talking about the case of 13-year-old Tristan Bailey. Tristan was brutally murdered when she was stabbed more than 100 times by a classmate, friend, and neighbor. And we're going back to our roots this week because it's going to be another super hard case to listen to. And especially once we see the kind of person that Tristan was and how far she could have potentially gone in life had her life not been stolen from her for absolutely no reason whatsoever. So, without further ado... Let's get it. Tristan Bailey was born to her parents, Forrest and Stacy Bailey, on January 28th in 2008. And Tristan was the youngest of her parents' five kids. While Tristan may have been the youngest, she was extremely close with all of her siblings and her parents. Tristan's family was oftentimes referred to as the Bailey Seven by people in their community and people that knew them. And again, Tristan may have been the baby of the family, but her family says that she was, quote, treasured in every way. Tristan was literally a dream child. She was beautiful, respectful, athletic, smart, funny, energetic, driven, and her smile. Y'all have to go look a picture up because her smile is like the warmest, brightest, biggest thing you've ever seen. Tristan was going places and she had big dreams. Tristan and her family lived in St. John's County in Florida, and Tristan was in the seventh grade at Patriots Oak Academy in St. John's County, Florida, where she was a cheerleader. But Tristan wasn't like the snobby, highfalutin cheerleader that most teenage girls are. She was friends with everybody. She also did a lot of competitive cheer, which is something completely different from just cheering on the sidelines of a football game. Competitive cheer is hard, and it's something that you have to be completely dedicated to. And this is something that she would have had to have been completely invested in doing because this isn't just your typical high school cheerleading program. Tristan may have already had four siblings at home, but she also acted as a big sister to all the girls on her cheer team and other cheer teams and athletic teams that she participated in. If I'm not mistaken, she was on either three or four different cheer teams. That's a lot. (laughs) Tristan even went so far as to make videos about the girls on her on her cheer team, and she basically said that, like, if you mess with one of us, you're messing with all of us. And that was true in her home life, too. But Tristan wasn't solely focused on sports and cheer, though. She was extremely serious about her studies and her schooling. And when I tell you that I could not find somebody that had a single bad thing to say about her, I mean it. And I get that she's only 13, and a lot of people wouldn't have anything negative to say, but I'm here to tell you... Teenagers in general are little shits. They're mean, they're rude, they're they're awful. Teenagers are just awful. And Tristan was just the complete opposite of that. Tristan wasn't just friends with the girls that she cheered with. She was also extremely close with all of their parents. Like the girls that Tristan would hang out with, their mom said that even though Tristan was only 13, that she often felt like their friend too. She would hang out with their friends as parents and spill a lot of the latest gossip and tea to them. And she was anything but your average teenage girl. Tristan was somebody that everybody loved, and she loved everybody. So, it's Mother's Day. It's Sunday, May 9th, 2021, and everybody in the Bailey house had just assumed that Tristan was sleeping in. I mean, it was the weekend. She was a 13-year-old. Sleeping is kind of their hobby at that age, but when someone went in to wake Tristan up so she could join the family for her Mother's Day breakfast, They realized that Tristan wasn't in her bedroom, that she wasn't sleeping, and that she wasn't anywhere inside of the house. Tristan had last been seen by her sister a little after midnight the night before. Well, I guess technically the morning before, but you know what I mean. And and Tristan was thought to have last been at home. It was somewhere around 9.40 a.m. the next morning on Mother's Day when Tristan's dad, Forrest Bailey, started searching around the inside and outside of their house and any places that were kind of close by in the neighborhood that, you know, maybe Tristan had been hanging out at, and they they just had no luck at all finding her. I'm really sorry if y'all can hear my neighbor sawing something. He just saw stuff all day, and his wife just rides around in the lawnmower all day. They're elderly, they're really sweet, but if you hear it, that's what it is. 
So after Tristan's parents had already looked around a little bit, Tristan's mom wasted no more time, and she went ahead and called 911 to report that Tristan was missing. This call to 911 came in somewhere around 10 a.m. on May 9, 2021. Tristan's mom, Stacy, did tell the 911 dispatcher that Tristan had been staying in her room a lot more often, which I feel like this is something all parents go through with their teenagers. They just kind of get really standoffish and want to be alone all the time. But that Tristan was always in high spirits and that, you know, nothing really seemed all the ordinary with her. Stacy also said that Tristan didn't have a boyfriend and she told dispatch that Tristan had never suffered from any anxiety or depression. So they had been looking for Tristan for about 20 minutes before they decided to call 911. The last time anybody had physically seen Tristan was the night before around midnight. And Tristan's sister said that she had seen Tristan in the family's garage and that Tristan had been on a video call with a guy. All that her sister could really remember about the call was that it had been a video call and that Tristan was on the phone with a white guy wearing a backwards baseball hat and the baseball hat was also white. And that's really all Tristan's sister saw, which, I mean, you think about it, how often do you pay attention to other people's video calls? Or maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just not nosy at all because I really don't. I'm just not. I could not tell you the last person that my husband, my best friend, I mean, like anybody, I couldn't tell you the last time that I've seen them on a video call and knew who they were talking to. So I can see how Tristan's sister wasn't really paying much attention to who she was talking to on this video call. Now, her sister does say that when she saw Tristan in the garage on the video call with this mystery guy, that Tristan had been wearing a black-colored skirt and a black-colored cheerleading shirt. And this was also according to Tristan's missing person flyer. But I also saw in other reports that said that it was dark shorts and a white cheerleading shirt. But regardless, this was the last time that anybody saw Tristan, like, physically laid eyes on her. And can we all just remember that this is also Mother's Day? Like, this had to be the hardest Mother's Day that Tristan's mom had ever experienced. It's supposed to be a day of, like, celebration and your journey through motherhood. And instead, Stacy wakes up and has to report her youngest daughter missing. I cannot even imagine. When police arrived on the scene, they immediately started looking around the neighborhood, asking anyone in surrounding areas if they had, like, home security cameras, that they may have caught anything that they could use, and it wouldn't take police long to put together some kind of rough draft of a timeline of where Tristan had gone and what had happened to her. Tristan's mom, Stacy, says that she didn't know of any other times that Tristan had snuck out of the house before, but of course, I mean, anything's possible. Tristan could have easily snuck out of the house before without her parents realizing it or really knowing And it may be one of those situations where they just hadn't caught Tristan sneaking out yet. And then again, to flip the other side of that coin, this may have been the first time that Tristan had ever snuck out of the house in the middle of the night without telling her parents. Tristan's parents also told police that they had already tried calling Tristan on her phone and that her phone was going straight to voicemail. Her parents had kind of thought of everything. They had already tried to track Tristan's phone using the Life360 family tracking app. And this app is set up where you can, like, select a group of people to share your location with at all times. So not everybody in your phone can see your location, but the people that you've selected to have access to your location can. And Tristan's location on the Life360 app was normally always on. So typically, Tristan shared her location constantly, but it had been turned off at some point. So now they weren't going to be able to track her phone's location since her phone was turned off and the location permissions had also been turned off. Of course, the police would be able to track her location, but that takes time and Tristan's parents were trying to do whatever they could do right then in that moment. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings from haunted houses to castles bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Tristan's Snapchat account had also had its location permissions turned off. So now she's not answering her phone. It seems to be either powered off or completely dead, and that's hella suspicious in itself. 
Not to mention that Tristan's location is always on for her family, but now all of a sudden nobody can track her location. So all of these different things are like setting off alarm bells for not only Tristan's family and her siblings, but it's also setting off alarm bells for police. Especially since Tristan is a 13-year-old girl in 2021. She would have likely had her phone in her hand always. Like, there's not a doubt in my mind that her phone was probably attached to her hand at all times. So police were searching the areas around the neighborhood that the Bailey family lived in, and they were talking to people that lived in the neighborhood also. The St. John's County Sheriff's Office announced that Tristan was missing and that police and the families were all out searching. This announcement was made at 1.59 p.m., and at this point, families in the community had completely put their own Mother's Day plans on hold in order to help search for Tristan. Everybody was out searching, looking, trying to find any sign or any kind of lead to the whereabouts of 13-year-old Tristan. Posts were being made all over social media accounts, and the word about Tristan being missing was spreading, and it was spreading fast, which is exactly what you'd want in a situation like this, I would think. And you would think that the more eyes looking, the more people that know about it, the better, and that's what their goal was. Tristan's oldest sister had actually been on the first day of her honeymoon when she got the call that Tristan was missing. She was literally across the country, like, hours and hours and hours away and not there like she wasn't able to be there and help and we're I do want to play some clips from the family at the end of this because there's really no way for me to describe Tristan I feel like they can do it they could do this so much more justice than I ever could so at about 2 20 p.m on Mother's Day police got the necessary approval to do a phone ping on Tristan's phone They were kind of hoping that if they'd found Tristan's phone, they would likely find her. Because again, like I said, she's 13. She probably doesn't go pee without her phone in her hand. So with this phone ping, police find that the last time that Tristan had used her phone was pretty late the night before on Saturday, and she had sent a text to somebody. Tristan's dad, Forrest, was able to access Tristan's phone records on his AT&T account online. And as they're going through the phone records, police find that Tristan had an incoming call on her cell phone at 1225 a.m. So that would have been the Mother's Day morning as soon as it turned into Sunday. So this call would have come in on Tristan's phone really shortly after her sister had last seen her in the garage around midnight on the video call. And when they find the call that was made to Tristan at 1225 a.m., Tristan's dad doesn't recognize the number. So he's like, I'm just going to call it and see who the number belongs to. So he calls, and it's a teenage boy from their neighborhood that answers the phone. It's somebody that Tristan goes to school with. The number that had called Tristan at 1225 a.m. belonged to a boy by the name of Aiden Fucci. Aiden tells Tristan's dad, Forrest, that he had talked to Tristan the night before, but that he didn't know where she was now and that he hadn't heard from her or talked to her since then. So this seems like a dead end. But this was only what the family could find by looking at Tristan's phone logs online. Police were, you know, they're able to do a lot more, like, to kind of ping a location and, you know, get further in-depth with all of her other phone history. And then police had finally gotten a tip that they may be able to use. There was another boy that Tristan went to school with by the name of Trey. And Trey's dad had called to let the police know that Tristan had actually been at his house without his knowledge just hours before her parents reported her missing. Trey had been with Aiden Fucci in the early morning hours before Tristan was found to be missing. And Aiden had been the one that had called Tristan at 1225 a.m. right after Tristan's sister had last seen her in the garage. But Trey had actually been grounded for getting suspended at school for, you know, the week before But where there's a will, there's a way, and like most teenagers, Trey figured out a way to sneak his friend Aiden in to where Trey's parents wouldn't be able to see Aiden sneaking into the family's house on their security system. Trey and Aiden had kind of just hung out and played video games, and it was a little after midnight that Aiden called Tristan's phone to ask if she wanted to sneak out and come and hang out with him and Trey, and Tristan agreed. Tristan did sneak into Trey's house in the early morning hours, but shortly after Tristan had gotten to Trey's house to hang out with him and Aiden, for whatever reason, Tristan and Aiden left Trey's house soon after she'd gotten there. So with this new information, police were able to get security footage from Trey's parents, and they can see two people walking down the sidewalk after they'd left Trey's house. It's kind of hard to tell who's on the camera footage. Like, it's it's not really obvious who these two people are. You can see that one is much shorter than the other one, and that's about it. So now police need to go talk to Aiden again because 
now they know he's already lied when he spoke to Tristan's dad earlier. Because remember, Tristan's dad had called Aiden's number when he didn't recognize it in Tristan's call log. And Aiden had told Tristan's dad, Forrest, that he hadn't seen or spoken to Tristan since the phone call a little after midnight. And when police get to talk to Aiden, Aiden tells them that, yes, Tristan had snuck out of the house to meet up with him and Trey at Trey's house, and that he and Tristan had left together shortly after Tristan had got there. Aiden says that he and Tristan were planning to kind of part their separate ways after they left Trey's house, because Tristan was going to meet some drug dealer that she was friends with on Snapchat. Aiden says he'd never met this drug dealer, but he gives a name. Name is not important, trust me. And from here, that the two of them had split up, and Aiden had got back to his own house at about 3 or 3.30 a.m. But now this part doesn't even make a lot of sense to investigators, because Aiden says that he and Tristan left Trey's house and eventually split up and he went home. But Trey only lived 1.4 miles from Aiden's house, so it should have only taken Aiden about 30 minutes to walk home. But in Aiden's timeline of events from that night and into the early morning hours, it took Aiden over two hours to walk from Trey's house back to his own house. So why did it take so long? Because even if Aiden was walking really slow and taking his time, like I could see like a 30-minute walk maybe turning into like a 45-minute walk if you're like lollygagging, taking your time, stopping on your phone, you know, whatever. I could see it taking a few more minutes. But not two hours, not over two hours for something that should have taken 30 minutes. It's just not plausible. Now, this is where Aiden changes his story, and this will be the second version of events that we get from Aiden. So now Aiden tells police that he actually did walk with Tristan for longer than he originally said he did. But in this version of events, Aiden says that while he and Tristan were just walking around and hanging out, that Tristan started coming on to Aiden, and she was coming on pretty hard. And he says that at one point, Tristan had even tried to grab his junk. Like, his Johnson, his Willie, whatever. Like, I don't even know what you want to call it. His little worm, I don't know. And Aiden says that this constant being groped and fondled was annoying, so he just kind of pushed Tristan off of him. And that when he'd pushed her, it caused Tristan to fall to the ground and she'd hit her head. After Tristan fell to the ground and hit her head, Aiden says that he doesn't know if Tristan got up or not because... He had smoked some pot earlier that night, and it had made him dizzy. So he just kept walking and headed back to his house. Like, that's his story, and he's sticking with it. So after this talk, police had to release Aiden back into the custody of his parents. But they did go ahead and read him his rights because they were sure that some kind of crime had been committed. They just weren't sure how to prove it, and they needed the evidence to back up their gut feeling. Luckily, it wouldn't take very long for that evidence and the proof to come to him, but we'll get there. A Florida missing child alert was issued for Tristan Bailey at 4.54 p.m. on Sunday on Mother's Day. And according to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the missing child alert is only issued when a child is believed to be missing and in danger. So this isn't an alert that the state would probably issue for a teenager who was believed to have run away from home on their own. But this missing child alert was only up and active for a short period of time before police got a call at 6.06 p.m. The call came in from a man by the name of Daniel Hart. Daniel was a man who had just returned home from a run, and he decided since he was already outside that, you know, he would just search the wooded area and the pond around his house. You know, he just wanted to help look for Tristan. He probably was thinking that he wasn't really going to find anything, honestly, but he did. And when he called 911 at 6.06 p.m., he told dispatch that he'd found what he believed to be a body and that they needed to go ahead and send somebody out. Daniel was advised not to touch or move anything that, you know, police were on their way, but they must have been, like, super close by because the 911 call about finding what seemed to be a body came in at 6.06 p.m., and by 6.15 p.m., a deputy had pronounced Tristan Bailey dead. Of course, the body had to be identified as Tristan at some point after this, but we now know that it was, in fact, the body of Tristan Bailey. Tristan's body had been found in a wooded area near a retention pond, and Tristan had been found laying on her side with multiple injuries that covered her body. There were visible wounds to Tristan's arms, hands, neck, and her back. But we wouldn't find out until much, much later that Tristan was actually brutally stabbed 114 times all over her body. 
And we wouldn't find out that Tristan had been stabbed 114 times until much later on in the investigation. I'm just trying to keep up with the events in my head so that it makes sense for me to tell you. (laughs) Tristan's body was found fully clothed, so there was no suspected sexual abuse that happened. And we know all of this now, which is why I waited so long to cover this case, because the trial for Tristan's murder just ended very, very, very recently. So now I'm able to give you all the facts. Crime scene technician Marilyn Butts gathered a few things in the surrounding areas near the retention pond. She was able to find a pink vape, a $20 bill, a Powerade bottle, and a phone that was later able to be identified as Tristan's phone. People from the community had started handing over any and all of their surveillance footage from any of their home security systems or ring doorbell systems. At this point, they were basically handing over anything that police may need. Most people were handing it right over in hopes that it would help. On some of the surveillance footage that was gathered, you can see Tristan walking by herself at 1.14 a.m., and this is presumably when she was walking to meet up with Trey and Aiden at Trey's house to hang out. And then there was obviously the footage of the two people that we can only assume were Tristan and Aiden walking away from Trey's home. And in the video, you can see Tristan wearing an outfit that wasn't what her sister thought she had been wearing, so she wasn't wearing a dark-colored skirt and a dark-colored cheer shirt. She had actually been wearing a light-colored Victoria's Secret shirt with the word pink on the front and black slide-on van shoes. And who we now know was Aiden walking with Tristan on surveillance footage. He was wearing a white, a pair of white Nike shoes with a black Nike check on them, a pair of shorts, and a light-colored hoodie type of sweatshirt. This video footage of Tristan and Aiden walking together was recorded at 1.45 a.m. This footage was captured on a home security system from a house on Saddlestone Drive that was in Tristan's neighborhood. In this footage, you can see Tristan and Aiden walking directly towards the wooded area where Tristan's body was later found. And it was at 3.27 a.m. when Aiden appears on another surveillance camera again, except this time, Tristan isn't walking with Aiden. And in this video, you can see Aiden walking away from the wooded area where Tristan's body would later be found, and you can see him carrying his Nike shoes in his hands. So after you see Aiden and Tristan walking towards the wooded area together, it's about two hours later when you see Aiden reappear alone and carrying his shoes instead of wearing them on his feet. So what happened to Tristan during these two hours? Why didn't she come out of the wooded area with Aiden? And why was he carrying his shoes instead of wearing them on his feet? It's all pretty strange. So with this new footage, police were going to need to talk to Aiden yet again. This time, Aiden is led into the back of a police car to be taken in for questioning. And Aiden decides that now's a pretty good time to get on Snapchat and take some cool pictures with his stupid haircut and throw up some lame peace signs with his fingers. And there's another video of Aiden and a friend of his in the back of a patrol car right after these Snapchat pictures were taken. And right after this video was recorded, I'm going to try to play the audio from the video here. Having fun in a f***ing cop car. Yep. Tristan. What's up, guys? Tristan, if you f***ing walk out the damn... When you see this in a month... And with that, First Coast News had this to say. Hours after 13-year-old Tristan Bailey was reported missing from her Durban Crossing neighborhood Sunday, her friend Aiden Fucci, now arrested for her murder, posted on social media from the backseat of what looks like a deputy's patrol car. It's, you know, not uncommon to put somebody in the backseat of the car and let them have their phone, uh, depending on where you're at in the investigation. First Coast News crime analyst Mark Bachman says he's worked cases in which suspects were allowed to keep their phones for a little while. Is that a technique to let somebody hold on to a cell phone to see what they do with it? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a technique. There's no privacy in that car uh, when they're in the back seat of the car. So what I gathered from that is that they basically gave him his phone, let him keep it in the patrol car, and let him dig his own grave. The way Snapchat works is you take a picture, you can add a caption to it, and you can send it to one person or multiple people. So, Aiden had captioned this picture of himself in the back of a police car holding up a peace sign with a caption that read, quote, Hey guys, has anybody seen Tristan lately? End quote. And he sent this to a lot of his friends on Snapchat. Luckily, some of those people had screenshotted the picture that Aiden had sent and, you know, they were later able to show it to police. 
which is why I don't do Snapchat. It deletes everything almost instantly. Like, you take a picture and send it, and it's gone forever, it seems like. Or maybe I'm just not tech savvy. But there are also some people that replied to Aiden's Snapchat picture asking if anyone had seen Tristan. People replied with things like, quote, what the fuck, Aiden? Question mark. End quote. Another reply said, quote, you were with her, Aiden. You know what happened to her. End quote. Another reply said, quote, bruh, aren't you the one that got her into this mess? Question mark. End quote. So people that know Aiden are definitely calling his bluff. It doesn't help that Aiden only lived 0.3 miles from the wooded area where Tristan's body was eventually found. So naturally, police have to take Aiden in for questioning, and just in this picture and video that he's taken in the back of the patrol car, he just looks so cocky and, like, arrogant and, like, he seems to think he's untouchable. And in the video, it seems like Aiden's taken the entire thing pretty lightheartedly, which is weird because they're supposed to be friends and neighbors at the very least. So Aiden and his parents are brought in for questioning, of course, because he's only 14. I don't know if I've said that yet or not, but we're dealing with a 14-year-old. Um, so he and his parents are brought in for questioning, and this interview was at about 8.49 p.m., so literally just a couple hours after Tristan's body had been found. And during this interview and all throughout the rest of the night, police are searching Aiden's mom's house, who is Crystal Smith, and, you know, Aiden lives with his mom. So they're looking for anything that may be able to help in the investigation of Tristan Bailey's murder. And like I said, with Aiden being a minor, both of his parents were able to be in the interrogation room with him. And Aiden's parents are both telling him throughout the entire time that they're alone in this interrogation room with Aiden that the room is being recorded, and then they tell Aiden that the Snapchat he posted probably wasn't his smartest idea. So I'm going to go through the conversation that was had between Aiden and his parents. Aiden's mom says, quote, You know they found this girl, right? Aiden asks where she was found, and Aiden's mom answers, in our neighborhood, down our main street. Aiden then asks, is she good? Aiden's mom tells him, quote, no, she's dead. That's why this is very important. It's all on you right now. And Aiden asks his mom, quote, how's it my problem? And this is where Aiden's dad jumps in here, and he jumps in to say, quote, you were the last one seen with her, so right now, it's a lot facing you right now, son. So however you talk, you breathe, you think, and you respond. And here is about the time that Aiden's mom, Crystal, chimes in again, and she says, quote, This is very serious, Aiden. You can't act like I don't know, I don't know, and you can't say nothing that's going to mess you up. Aiden's dad then says to Aiden, quote, You understand that this is serious. Clearly, you understand, right? Aiden just answers with a short, uh-huh. Aiden's parents again reiterate how dumb his posting on Snapchat was, and they tell their son that they're getting threats from people that are saying they're going to burn their house down. Which is awful that they're getting threats like that, but Aiden's parents just keep going. Aiden's parents then go on to ask him if anything happened between himself and Tristan while they were walking into the woods, and Aiden says that he kissed her. But when Aiden was talking to the investigators, he said that Tristan was the one grabbing his junk and sexually messing with him. And now when Aiden's talking to his parents, he's the one that kissed her. Again, not really adding up. Aiden's dad advised his ex-wife and his son that they probably shouldn't be talking about any of this inside of a room that was being recorded. Aiden's parents asked why he was carrying his shoes in the video of him walking out of the woods and back towards their house, you know, this time, the time that he was caught on camera walking without Tristan. And Aiden tells his parents he had taken his shoes off because his feet had been hurting, which I don't think Aiden or his parents, either one really thought this question through. Because now, police will be able to say with 100% certainty that it is Aiden on the video footage that was captured with Tristan. Which also means that Aiden won't be able to deny or his offense attorneys won't be able to later say that it wasn't Aiden and Tristan on the video camera that had been caught, you know, on the video footage. Because, spoiler alert, this case does go to trial and Aiden is Tristan's murderer. At 14 years old... Aiden Fucci murdered his 13-year-old friend, neighbor, and classmate. But let's keep going. Aiden's parents then ask if he and Tristan had sex on the night that she had been last seen, and Aiden says that they didn't. 
Aiden's parents ask if Aiden had ever saw this random drug dealer that was um, completely made up in his imagination. And, of course, Aiden says no, that he's never seen this guy before, that he had only ever heard about the drug dealer. So this mysterious drug dealer was found to be just that, a figment of Aiden's imagination. Aiden's dad asks Aiden again when and if he kissed Tristan on the night in question, and Aiden says that he and Tristan kissed on the walk home from hanging out at Trey's house. And then Aiden's mom says, quote, I just don't see why you kissed her, and then all of a sudden, she grabbed you, and then you pushed her. Aiden's dad chimes in here and tells his son, quote, you better find your story and stay to it. So essentially, Aiden's parents are telling him to find his story and stick with it, which is never a good sign. And if I believed that Tristan grabbed Aiden in any way in any of his no-no areas, then this would be a completely different kind of commentary. But I don't think for a second that that's what happened. And after you hear how Tristan was found, I think you'll feel the same way. Tristan likely never touched Aiden in any way, shape, or form, but we'll continue. So all of this stuff that's being said between Aiden and his parents is, of course, being recorded because you lose your right to privacy once you enter a police station for questioning. Something else that was recorded during the conversation that Aiden and his parents were having is when Aiden's mom asked Aiden if police would find anything on his clothes that could link him to Tristan's murder. And Aiden just kind of says, like, I don't know why. And this is when Aiden's mom whispers and mouths the word blood. So she's like, are they going to find anything on your clothes that link you to Tristan? And Aiden's like, I don't know why. And she's like, blood. Like, maybe blood. Aiden's mom and dad weren't together anymore at this point, and Aiden lived primarily with his mom and her new partner. But it seems like his dad was, you know, in his life at least a relatively good amount. So now's a pretty good time to mention that when police had talked to Aiden much earlier in the investigation, that police had kind of patted him down and they'd found a blue pocket knife on Aiden's person. But at this time that police had patted Aiden down, they hadn't found Tristan's body yet, and they had no idea that the knife that Aiden had on him, you know, may have been evidence. Police ended up giving Aiden's dad the knife after they'd patted Aiden down and talked to him before, And when the police had went back and questioned Aiden and his dad again about where the knife was now, Aiden's dad told police that he had set the knife on the bumper of his truck and driven off and that it must have been lost. But, you know, later after the police are already pretty suspicious of Aiden for the crime, police asked Aiden's dad where he had the knife at and Aiden's dad told the police about the knife being left on the bumper of his truck and that he thought maybe it had just kind of flown off the bumper of his truck, but that he didn't know where it was now. Police and investigators looked for the knife later on and were never able to recover it. So I'm just going to say that allegedly, maybe, possibly, the Aiden's parents were purposely hiding and covering up potential evidence, but that is solely my opinion, and just like assholes, we're all entitled to those. So please don't try to sue me. I'm a broke bitch anyways. You won't get much, I promise. So now the knife that police had found on Aiden during one of the very first times that they talked to him is now mysteriously missing and nowhere to be found. Essentially, it's magic, y'all. So the police ended up searching Aiden and his mom's house until almost 12.45 a.m. During this search, police found a pair of wet Nike shoes with a black Nike check mark on them, just like the ones that had been seen in the video footage of Tristan walking with who we now know was Aiden. And we know that it was Aiden walking with Tristan in this video because he's already admitted this during the recorded conversation that he had with his parents inside of the police station. So there's really no question about whose shoes these were, and there's really no question as to who was walking with Tristan anymore. These Nike shoes had visible blood on them, and police also found a Buck brand knife sheath. They also found a t-shirt that had visible blood on it, along with a piece of paper that had been written on it. The paper also seemed to have blood on it as well. Police found a few more damning pieces of evidence during the search of the Fuji house. They found a pair of wet blue jeans, and while searching the family bathroom, police discovered dirt and possible blood in the bathroom sink and drain. The dirt and possible blood that was found in the bathroom at the family's house was in the bathroom that was closest to Aiden's bedroom. So remember how I said earlier that police had already read Aiden his rights because they very much suspected that he was at least tied to Tristan's death in some way? 
Okay, cool. So they did a Zoom court appearance with Aiden because this is all happening in May 2021, so COVID was at its peak. The judge ruled to keep Aiden for at least three weeks as the investigation unfolded. One of the investigators working the case was already confident enough to say that he thought that he'd be able to take this case to trial and win. And this is literally all happening within the first day or so after Tristan had been reported missing and then after her body had been found later on in the evening. So that just tells me they already know what they needed to find to be able to prove and prosecute this case. Even while this case was so fresh and so new and still unfolding at the time, the investigators made the statement that they thought they could take it to trial and win, which says a lot. So it was a Monday, the day after Tristan had been reported missing and found, that dive teams were brought in to search the pond nearby the wooded area where Tristan's body had been found. And during the search of the pond, a knife was recovered. Now, friends and classmates of Aiden's said that Aiden had a knife that was identical to the one that had been found during the search of the pond. And in a statement that was later made to the public about Tristan's wounds, this is when we learn in real time that Tristan had been stabbed 114 times. This was also when we learned that 49 of those stab wounds were defensive wounds. So 49 of those stab wounds were to Tristan's arms and hands, where she had been trying to block the knife from stabbing her essential heart, head, like the things that we instinctively try to protect. This led investigators and the medical examiner to believe that Tristan had probably sadly been alive for the majority of the wounds that were inflicted to her. The medical examiner was also able to say that Tristan's cause of death was sharp force trauma by stabbing. The medical examiner was also able to determine that Tristan's time of death would have been very, very, very shortly after she had been seen on video footage walking towards that wooded area with Aiden Fucci the same wooded area where her body would later be found. So it seems like Tristan was murdered very shortly after she walked into the woods with Aiden, and this is all in real time when we find out that Tristan had been stabbed 114 times and that 49 of these stab wounds were defensive wounds, because up to this point, we only knew that Tristan had suffered multiple stab wounds. Nobody had any idea as to how many, and we also didn't know that the majority of those were defensive wounds. And we would also later find out that the knife that had been found by the dive teams in the pond near the woods where Tristan's body was found, that knife was also a Buck brand folding knife, and the tip of the knife was missing. Now, the brand of knife that was found matched the Buck brand knife sheath that was found in Aiden Fuji's house when the search warrant was executed. So now we have a knife that most likely belongs to Aiden, and the police had already found the knife sheath that the knife is supposed to be held in. And now we know that the tip of the knife has been broken off. The knife was, of course, taken into evidence, and it was during Tristan's autopsy that the broken-off tip of the knife was found buried in Tristan's skull. So this alone shows the sheer force that was used during Tristan's attack. The rage and the anger and the depravity of this case is finally starting to show. So police now have the knife that was found in the pond. They also have the knife sheath that is supposed to, you know, hold the knife. And lo and behold, they find the missing tip in Tristan's skull. They have everything they need. It wasn't hard to figure out who, you know, who this knife belonged to. Especially since two different witnesses and friends of Aiden's said that this Buck brand folding knife was the same exact kind of knife that Aiden was known to carry. People were also kind of wondering why and how this knife ended up in the pond, and I kind of feel like this was like a bad attempt at getting rid of any DNA evidence by throwing the knife in water. There were other statements made later on by Aiden's girlfriend that Aiden would often come up behind her and pretend to slit her throat which should have been a red flag. Aiden would often tell his friends and his girlfriends about his plans to kill someone, and all of this started shortly before Tristan Bailey was murdered. Aiden had even given himself a 30-day window to find and kill someone in the same exact way that Tristan ended up being murdered. And like, I don't care if everybody thought that he was joking, or if this was like the biggest running joke of their group of friends, this ended up being like a foreshadowing of the future for Aiden. And it was the same day that this Buck brand knife was found that Aiden Fucci was arrested on second-degree murder charges. The community was outraged, and they wanted to know why the charges weren't first-degree premeditated murder, 
And this is when St. John's County Sheriff's Office had to kind of reassure everybody that, you know, this wasn't an ongoing investigation still and that the charges could change at any time. But he did assure everyone that they were aware that this wasn't an accident. So now police are, you know, they're having to talk to friends of Aiden's and people that knew Aiden best. And multiple different kids that knew Aiden came forward to say that Aiden had recently been talking about wanting to take someone out in the woods and stab him to death. Which is exactly how Tristan Bailey was murdered. I actually found something that Aiden had told to his girlfriend and his friends, and it said that Aiden said it would have to be at nighttime, and that he would drag someone into the woods, and he would stab them, and it would that it would happen within a month, and that he said he would act innocent so that he could keep killing and run away. And undoubtedly, these kids must have thought that Aiden was joking, or they just weren't taking him serious, because they never told an adult, they never reported anything that he said, and they never really took it seriously until the day that Tristan's body was found and Aiden's knife was found to be broken off inside of her skull. Now, I'm really over talking about Aiden, but there's just so much more to this case and everything that I've included in the research is important. So there was a lot of stuff that came out about Aiden's parents while his family was under a microscope, you know, while he's sitting in a juvenile detention center. Of course, people start digging up whatever they can find on anybody in their families. But none of the stuff that I found about Aiden's parents has anything to do with Tristan, and Tristan is the victim here. Tristan is the one that deserves the time, energy, and attention, so I'm not including any of that shit that I dug up on Aiden's parents in this episode because it's irrelevant. It is not important. It is not about Tristan. There were petitions that were started for people who wanted Aiden to be charged as an adult. There were other petitions started so that people could sign to have Aiden's charges upgraded from second-degree murder to premeditated first-degree murder. And with hundreds of thousands of people signing these petitions, it was announced on May 28th that Aiden would not only be charged as an adult, but that his charges would also be upgraded from second-degree murder to premeditated first-degree murder. But since Aiden was only 14 years old at the time of the crime, even though he was being charged as an adult, he would not be eligible for the death penalty. Apparently, the day before this announcement was made, a grand jury had convened without anybody knowing, and they'd ruled that Aiden should be charged as an adult, and that his charges should be changed to premeditated first-degree murder, and the argument was made that every single time Aiden lifted his arm into the air to stab Tristan, and every single time that he brought his arm back down to go through with the stab, that he had been intentionally thinking about and realizing what he was doing Hence, premeditation. The indictment is for first-degree premeditated murder. Now, some folks have asked us why or wanted to know why we would charge premeditated murder and also why we would choose to seek uh, adult sanctions on on, uh, Aiden, who is a 14-year-old boy. Well, we're going to talk about both of those together to give you an idea of why the decision was made to charge him as an adult and why we believe first-degree premeditated murder is the appropriate charge. I think both of those intertwine, to, and we'll explain why we did what we did. First off, I want to tell you, it brings me no pleasure to be charging a 14-year-old with, as an adult with first-degree murder. But I can tell you also that the executive team and I reviewed all the facts, all the circumstances, the applicable law, and it was not difficult decision to make that he should be charged as an adult. It's a sad decision and a sad state of affairs. But it was clear to us after we looked at what happened that it was not only appropriate to charge uh, the defendant as an adult, but it was really the only choice that we could make. The medical examiner completed an autopsy on our victim and identified confidently that there were 114 stab wounds, 114. At least 49 of those stab wounds were to the hands, arms, and the head and were defensive in nature. The bottom line is that premeditation could be inferred, certainly, from just the sheer number of stab wounds that Tristan Bailey had to suffer. 
Every time, every time that arm went back and every time that arm went down, that was premeditation. And it happened, if you times 114 by 2, that's 228. So that was from the press conference where they're trying to explain to people, you know, how they came up with premeditated first-degree murder charges and why he should be charged as an adult, which it seems like a no-brainer to me, but I'm sure there's people with other opinions. Aiden's family had hired an attorney, and his attorney ended up being asked to be removed from Aiden's case, and the judge approved, you know, Aiden's attorney's request to be removed. It seemed like the family couldn't really afford to pay for the attorney anymore. It was after Aiden's first appearance in court where Aiden pled not guilty. But since he was a minor, his parents are responsible for finding him legal representation, and since they weren't able to afford it, the judge declared the Aiden's mom and dad as indigenous which just means that the state will provide legal representation and that Aiden's parents have been able to prove that they couldn't afford it. And with that, Aiden was then offered a public defender as representation. The public defender's office made a statement saying that they were putting together a whole ass team of attorneys to help defend Aiden in this case. And since Aiden had just been charged as an adult for premeditated first-degree murder, that means he would have to be moved from the juvenile detention to big boy jail. And I know I just said that I wasn't going to add any of the dirt that was dug up on Aiden's parents, but this part's a little bit different because it was just a few days after Aiden Fucci's charges were changed to premeditated first-degree murder, and it was ruled that he would be charged as an adult. And on June 5th, Aiden's mom, Crystal Smith, was also arrested on charges of tampering with evidence in relation to Tristan's murder. There were not only surveillance cameras outside of the Fucci home, but also inside of the Fucci home. And on those cameras inside the house, you can see Aiden's mom, Crystal. She can be seen coming into Aiden's bedroom after he had been, you know, taken in for questioning. You then see her grab a pair of blue jeans, take them to the bathroom sink, and hand wash them. Which would explain the blood and dirt that had been found in the bathroom sink in the bathroom that was closest to Aiden's room during the search warrant. After she finished hand-washing a pair of Aiden's blue jeans, you can see her take the jeans into her own bedroom and then bring them back out later, presumably after they dried from being hand-washed. And from here, she then takes the jeans back into Aiden's room. And it seems like after Aiden's mom had hand-washed the jeans and let them dry and put them back in Aiden's room, that she went back to get them and brought them back out, where she and somebody else are looking over and it almost looks like they're inspecting the jeans. And this happens over and over again. Like she's holding them up, pointing here, pointing there. But it looks like they're checking to see if there's any blood still visible on the pants. And it seems like Crystal kind of figured out that there might be blood or at the very least some kind of DNA on the clothes that Aiden had been wearing the night that Tristan was killed. Because let's all remember back to that conversation that Aiden had with his parents that was recorded in the police station right after the murder when Aiden's mom asked Aiden if there was anything on his clothes, and she mouthed the word blood to him. So it seems like she kind of made her own assumption and scurried home to check his clothes and try to clean anything off the clothes that may incriminate her son. But to play devil's advocate here, this could also have just been a mom doing laundry. But when you go look at the houses that these families lived in and the community that they lived in, I would have to assume that it is very likely that every house had their own washing machine and dryer, So why would she be hand-washing clothes and blue jeans at that? Like, you can wear blue jeans like three times before they need to be washed. I'm just saying. Aiden's mom surrendered herself to the sheriff's office on the tampering with evidence charges. She only stayed in jail for a short time before she made her $25,000 bail and she was released. Crystal Smith was doing court yesterday, I believe, on April 4th, 2023, and I'll probably... maybe do a short update on that when it comes to an end. I'm not sure. I haven't decided yet. So Crystal wasn't able to be at any of Aiden's court dates and, you know, she wasn't there throughout the, any of the first degree premeditative, like any of the court stuff that he was at. And Aiden's case was about to go to trial. But right before jury selection was set to start, Aiden kind of shocked everybody when he stood up and changed his plea from not guilty to guilty. On February 6, 2023, inside of the St. John's County Courthouse. The judge made sure that Aiden understood that changing his plea to guilty and admitting that he was the one that had murdered Tristan in cold blood 
that, you know, he wouldn't have a jury trial anymore, and instead he would just wait for his sentencing to begin. Before the judge accepted Aiden's guilty plea, he made sure to ask Aiden over and over again if this was what he wanted to do, and, you know, that was basically the end of the trial road for Aiden. And he even asked if he was sure that this is what he wanted to do, and Aiden answered that he was sure and that he was guilty. And with that, Aiden's sentencing hearing began, and Aiden left the courtroom with a short and super unapologetic sentence saying, quote, I'm sorry for the Bailey family and to my family. So throughout the entire time leading up to the jury selection, the Bailey family had absolutely refused to accept any kind of plea deal that was offered, and they were ready to drag this trial out for as long as necessary in order to get justice for their daughter, and you can't really be mad at that. Aiden was facing 40 years to life with a review available for his sentencing after he served the first 25 years by pleading guilty to the murder of Tristan Bailey, but Aiden's sentence would have been determined by the judge. Aiden was 16 years old in February when he pled guilty to the murder of Tristan, and during the sentencing hearing for Aiden Fucci, Tristan's family and friends spent two whole-ass emotional days reading their victim impact statements, and making sure that the judge knew that Aiden deserved the absolute harshest punishment because he was the one that had taken their daughter, sister, and friend away from them. Tristan's mom told the judge, quote, Aiden Fucci made a heinous decision on May 9th, 2021, and took the very life that I brought into this world. Tristan's mom, Stacy, continued by saying, please do not for one second think that he can be rehabilitated at any point. He is beyond saving. And one of Tristan's older sisters, named Alexis, sat in the courtroom with a room full of Tristan's loved ones and her murder, and she dropped 114 teal marbles into a glass jar. 114 marbles for every single time that Aiden Fucci stabbed her sister. This was quite possibly the most heartbreaking, yet most powerful thing I've ever watched. The judge actually got pretty emotional while he was sentencing Aiden. The judge made it pretty clear that in his 20-year career that he had never seen such a senseless and heinous act of violence for absolutely no reason at all. And we later learned that Aiden had named his knives, and the fact that he had given names to his knives, I think it says all we need to know about Aiden. Aiden was sentenced to life in prison, but because of his age at the time of the crime and at the time of his sentencing, This life sentence would be served, but Aiden would also have the possibility for a review after he serves the first 25 years in prison. And from there, he may or may not be able to get out, but I guess we'll see about that when the time comes. I'm going to link Tristan's Celebration of Life video so that you can watch it if you want to. It'll be the very last link under the show description, and I think I'll close it out here. Please remember to follow the podcast wherever you listen. Please rate, review the podcast if you've already been listening. If you're new here, welcome. Um, welcome to the shit show. Uh, reviews are free and they only take a minute. And I guess I should probably link my socials, huh? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram by searching murdered underscore mama. And on Facebook just by searching mama murdered a podcast. And with that. I think we'll close it out. Let's do it again. Same time, same place, next Wednesday. See you then. That's how my mama murdered a podcast.